back. Give me a wave. Lovely. Gosh, I can really feel like I'm booming. You're, we're cold, are we? Ah. If it's on 20. <laughs> Hands up if you're cold. Maybe just put the power down. <laughs> it's easier to ask somebody else to do it, isn't it, than to go and try and fiddle with it. And you could spend hours on it. Ah, right. Well, good morning. This, uh, as was said earlier, is our last and eighth um, sermon on the I Am Statements of Jesus, and we start that new series next week. Um, and I think mine this week is a tough one, because it's I Am the Vine. I Am the Vine. Now, I don't know whether you've uh, read through the chapter, you've got it in your mind, I'll do it in a minute, but there are some tough things that come out of it. Let me just, uh, before I start, read through a couple of things that I've seen recently that have, I've questioned. So I read this quote on the London Tube, and it says this, there is no point in being other than you are. There's no point in being other than you are. In other words, Bill, you're Bill. That's it. You're never going to get more than Bill. You're never going to get better than Bill. You're never going to get worse than Bill. You've just got to be as you are. That's what it says, isn't it? No sense of fatalism to it. It just happens, doesn't it? Sometimes good things happen, sometimes bad things happen. There's a sense of fatalism. And we don't, we don't feel like that, do we? But we do sense that in our, in our communities, in our culture today. There's a phrase that often people say, do you know what? I know in my life everything happens for a purpose. And the people who say that often don't believe in a creator God. Or they don't believe in a God who has a purpose. They're just a bit of fatalism. It all happens. You know, if bad things happen to me, they happen. If good things happen to me, they happen. Um, I read this on The Guardian yesterday. Are you the real you? Are you the real you? It's almost like, let's peel back the various um, parts of me to find the real me inside. Because if I can do that, somehow maybe I'll be satisfied. Maybe I'll find what I'm supposed to be. Maybe the best part of me will come out. That's not where we are as Christians, is it? Because we think that when we go inside of us, actually, we don't always see what we want to see. And we have to come to Jesus and that he makes us the ones we're meant to be. He's the one that has purpose for us and we can find his purpose. We don't go inside, but we go to Jesus for his purpose. There's also a theme that's linked with that of self-reliance. Yeah, we can rely on ourselves. I've been through things like this before. I can do it. I can do it my own strength. And there's, in our culture, that idea with self-reliance. And I think these uh, verses that we come to today really challenge those. They really challenge those. And it's interesting, with all those ideas, there's nothing... There's, there's some good in each of them. Think of the first, first one. There's no point in being other than you are. We don't want to spend our whole time trying to remake ourselves. We've got to kind of accept ourselves with our failings and our weaknesses, haven't we, as Christians? And we want to move forward in Jesus. Okay, let's um, uh, have a look at the passage today. So it's from John 15. I'm afraid it won't come up on the screen, um, but John 15, verses 1 to 10, 
and I'm going to read uh, from the ESV version, John 15. So it's the last of these I am statements. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. From apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. Now that's a challenging verse. Isn't it? That's a challenging verse. Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to me my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Let's pray, shall we? Lord Jesus, as we come to your word, Lord Jesus, will you encourage us, will you inspire us? Lord, will you help us to grapple with the difficult parts of the scripture? And Lord Jesus, help us to know more and more about you. Lord, we want our hearts warmed this morning, hearts warmed with your power and with your grace and with your knowledge. Lord, will you come and bless us? Lord, will you use my words, Lord Jesus, Lord, will you help me to to communicate clearly to the people this morning? Lord, will you use what I say for for their blessing and for your good, Lord God? Amen. Okay, so I'm just now going to go through the verses and just have a look at one or two parts in each of them. So verse 1. Verse 1 says this, I am the true vine. Interesting, because the word we usually, the phrase we usually use is I am the vine, isn't it? It's not I am the true vine. So where does, why why have we got that word true in there? Well, the vine was the symbol for the nation of Israel. In fact, it was even on some of the coins of the Maccabees. So actually the vine was, if you like, an identity. I don't know where we'd have that in the UK. What would be our picture we'd have? Maybe the Union Jack? Maybe the British Bulldog? Maybe the Lion? Yeah, yeah. The Thistle for Scotland? But the picture for Israel was the vine. So when Jesus was talking about the vine here, he was reflecting on things that were being said. It was the, the symbol of the nation. Now, interestingly also, if you look back in the Old Testament, whenever the vine is mentioned, it's not always mentioned positively when talking about Israel. So, Ezekiel 19 verse 10 says this, Israel is the empty vine. So not Israel wasn't fulfilling what they were supposed to do. Jeremiah 2 verse 21 says this, Yet I planted you a choice vine, holy of pure seed, 
How then have you turned degenerate and become a wild one? So this, this kind of history, when they were talking about the vine, when Jesus was saying these words to his disciples, they had this whole context of Israel in the background. And I think there's a... That just, just to stop here a minute and just to say, Jesus is the real deal, isn't he? He is the true vine. He is the one whom we link into. He is the one that we get sustenance from. He is the true vine. And he was comparing that. Interesting, this whole passage here comes um, from the end of the, the, the Last Supper. And Jesus has been there talking about all sorts of things. And there were probably vines there as well, weren't there? There were vines growing. And he was looking at those vines as he was talking. Because Jesus often did that, didn't he? He found, he saw something, and that sparked off an idea. And it sparked off something to speak to his disciples about. And I think he was doing that at that time to inspire the people. Because Jesus is the true vine. Okay. And now the bit that we come to, and I'm going to deal with this and put that out the way first, and then uh, look at maybe how the, the rest of the passage speaks to us. But in verse 2, it says, Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Strange, isn't it? How do we understand that? Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And verse 6 says this, If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, they're thrown into the fire, and are burned. Oh, now this is tough. Because these are people that are linked with the vine. Please don't leave after these next few sentences. Because this implies to me, on first reading, that you can lose your salvation. Doesn't it? Now don't leave. <laughs> Please don't leave. Doesn't it? It says, it says to me that you can be linked with the vine, but actually Jesus cuts you away, burns you in the fire. That is, is, is strange, isn't it? It makes me feel uncomfortable. How, how do I do that? Do, you know, if I say the wrong things today, will, will I be one of those vines that gets cut off and thrown away? If I don't pray hard enough, will I be one of those that gets cut off and thrown away? If I don't wear the right clothes... If I don't do the right thing, if, if I don't do the right religious customs, if I, if I sin, does that mean that Jesus will suddenly throw me away? Doesn't that give you a sense of fear that a holy God might suddenly reject you? Gosh, that makes me feel uncomfortable. And actually, a lot of these parables, a lot of the pictures, they're quite challenging. You have to really pick into them. Okay, just before you get there, I do not believe you can lose your salvation. I believe very firmly that once you are saved, you are secure in him and you don't need to fear what you do and what you say. You are wholly accepted. Okay, so um, let's just, uh, I'll, I'll come to that um, in a minute, but let's just try and increase the picture a little bit. You see, vines grew all over Palestine and they needed lots of attention to grow. And they needed drastic pruning. So you had to cut off parts that needed pruning in order to get the beautiful grapes. In fact, you had to cut off the branches drastically and mercilessly. You had to cut off those that weren't producing fruit. Why did you have to do that? Because they were draining, draining away strength from the plant. 
So they would have known, the disciples would have known, when Jesus was saying things, of course, when you've got those bad branches, you have to cut them off and you have to leave the other branches. But what was Jesus saying in terms of that? So I'm going to use two chapters here to give us confidence that when we give our lives to Jesus, when we truly give our, our, him our lordship, we make him our lord, that we are secure in him. And I'm going to do that from John's Gospel. I uh, don't have to turn to these, but they're John chapter 6 and John chapter 10. So John chapter 6, verses 37 to 39 says this. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. I will never cast out. Isn't that amazing? For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but to do the, one, the will of him who sent me. And it is this will of him who sent me that I should lose nothing at all that he's given me, but raise it up on the last day. I will never cast them out. Jesus will never let you go. You've made your commitment to him. He will never let you go. doesn't matter what you've done. doesn't matter how you dress. doesn't matter that you haven't prayed in the last week. doesn't matter. He will never let you go. John 10 verse 28 says this. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. No one. Those that are mine, no one will ever snatch them out of my hand. And I don't know how you understand this, how you get your mind around it, but this is my simplistic understanding. I think when I was saved, when I was 13, and I said, Lord Jesus, I don't know much about you, but I've heard somebody talk about you and I'm going to give you my life. I'm sorry for what I've done, I'm going to give you my life. That then there was a work of God. That saved me. That I then entered eternal life. That's my understanding. That was a work of God. And if I then decide to do other things, I can't undo what God's done. Me, puny little me, undo what the amazing ruler of the universe, the one who puts the stars into space, I can't undo what he did, does. Because salvation is done by God. It's he who saves, not us. Christianity isn't a man religion. It's not about us working our way to salvation, finding out who we really are. No, no, it's not about that. But it's a God-centered religion, isn't it? We are saved by him. He saves us, and we can't change that. It doesn't matter what we do. Okay, good. Well, I've just contradicted the scripture here. Brilliant, <laughs> brilliant. So I've got myself in a little knot. Well, what does this mean then? How do we actually work out what are these non-fruit-bearing branches? What did they mean to those disciples? Some people would say they're talking about those in Israel, the Jews, who felt that they were, if you like, saved by their religion. That's what some people would say. But interestingly here, if you think of the picture, you think you've got... God the Father as the vine dresser, the gardener. You've got Jesus as the, the stem. You've got Jesus as that, that main part. Jesus as the vine. And actually, we are the branches linking in. So it actually seems to be talking about people who have some link to Jesus, doesn't it? Strange. 
So it's talking about some people have some link with Jesus. Now, you and I will both know there are people who can talk about Jesus, who know a lot about Jesus. Maybe they even attend a church. Maybe they even walk in the right way and know how to say the right things. But actually in their heart, they haven't submitted to the Lordship of Jesus. They haven't actually given their life to Jesus. And there are some in those days and there are some now who are like that, aren't they? We've all met some people who you start talking to them about your relationship with Jesus and they will tell you theologically why you're wrong because of their academic idea that has never touched their heart. It's interesting, isn't it, that that when we sometimes look at Scripture, we take it again out of context. Let it put it back into the context, because the context here was right at the end of the Last Supper. In fact, the uh, (laughs) quite amusingly, the last verse of chapter 14 said, right, now it's time to go. And then they started another conversation about the vine. It was right at the end of the Last Supper. What happened there? Judas had rejected Jesus, hadn't he? Judas was the one. So he's somebody who'd been with Jesus, who'd spent time with him, who knew all about him, but he hadn't given himself in terms of the lordship of Jesus. So actually he was speaking into that, and that's a picture maybe of those who know a lot about Jesus, but don't know Jesus. Okay, good. Have we got that now? We're okay. Bob is uh, theologically okay in this one here. Security of our salvation. Brilliant. And if you're listening on the tape, Steve, I hope I've got that right for you. (laughs) Brilliant. And that's only week one. Right. Okay, but the passage goes further because it's not just speaking to those who have some link with Jesus but haven't given their life to Jesus. It talks more about us as branches. So verse 5 says... I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. So by abiding with Jesus, by linking in, by holding on to the vine, we bear much fruit. Verse 7 and 8. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done. Amazing. Whatever you wish and it will be done. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. You see, the challenge of the passage is this. Abide in Jesus. Abide in him. Spend time with him. My uh, testimony is that uh, I became a Christian when I was 13. And I can talk you through the people that had a real effect on my life. They were people who'd made a decision for Jesus, but their love for him went cold. So the first person that took me to this Christian meeting, when I was 13 and a half, at a boarding school in Tunbridge, this person here, six months later, he had given up on his faith. Not to say Jesus had given up on him, but he'd given up on his faith. The person who helped me come into the things of the Spirit, helped me to begin to speak in tongues, Two, three years later, she had given up completely with her faith. Jesus may not have given up with her, but she had given up completely. Do you know, it's amazing. If I'm sure many of you here, if you think through, you'll think through a number of people that you sat with in various churches who now are not here, are they? They've, 
They've decided for one reason or other, they've got distracted, life's taken over, something has taken over their life. So they're no longer linked in with the vine. They're no longer abiding in Jesus. Right. Are we ready for a bit of fun? No. Andrew loves it when I do this. Absolutely loves it. I always love it. So, sometimes we're a little bit like this ball. Okay. Um, because, I know, imagine this is Jesus. doesn't work very well, does it? But anyway, imagine this is Jesus for the moment, and this is me. Sometimes what I do is I spend a little bit of time with Jesus. I kind of bounce off him, don't I? You know, early in the morning, hello, Jesus. Oh, crumbs. And I've gone my own way. I've fallen down somewhere else. I've moved off. And sometimes I manage to get back on track with Jesus. Oh, dear. And then off I go. And I need somebody, maybe a, a, a good friend, a brother or sister, to bring me back to him. Because sometimes we're not necessarily, we're just with Jesus, aren't we? And actually, over the summer, I know as a, a teacher, that's sometimes the most difficult time for me to stay with him. Because my routines change. And we all know that, don't we? When our routines change, we kind of bounce away from Jesus. Spend a little bit of time with him. And actually, sometimes that's when we go through some tough times, personally. But the passage here talks about abiding in Jesus. It talks about being in there. You can do what you like. You're not going to get out of him. You've got to be with him. You've got to be in him. You've got to be spending time with him. You've got to be in him. The epistles talk about being in Christ, isn't it? That's where we are legally, theologically. But we've got to decide to abide in him. That's our part of it. Not bouncing away, but being in him. Did that work? Excellent. Good. I even got a couple of smiles. Good. See, it wasn't too bad. Um, In terms of abiding in him, I want to now come to a land with this with four or maybe five, depending how I get there, suggestions for you about how we make sure that we're not just with Jesus, but we're abiding in Jesus, particularly in these summer months. Number one comes from verse two. Every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes. Ooh. Ooh. Every branch that does not bear fruit, he prunes. And so there will be things that as you spend time with Jesus, he'll begin to point out. He'll begin to say, look, Bob, you weren't quite patient enough with your family, were you? I want you to just think on that and think about next time you're in that situation, showing the fruit of the Spirit a bit more. Look, Bob, when you fell out with that person at work, really you should have gone back to them earlier and said, look, I'm sorry, I got that wrong. Maybe, I don't know what it is for you, but allow God to work on your character. Sometimes when we feel that, we walk away and we say, okay, I'm just going to give this a break because, you know, it's me. I, I want the real me to come out. I don't want Jesus to change me. Well, we do, don't we, as Christians? We want God to change us, to make us more like Jesus, to change our character, our behavior, our values, what's important to us. So that's the first thing. Let's allow 
the vine dresser to prune us so that we can link in to the vine, which is Jesus. Number two, already you are clean because the word of God that I have spoken to you. The word of God. Now, this is not going to be a great revelation to you, but let's spend time in the word every day. I have finally worked out a way on my work day when I can open the word of God twice in that day. And my work days are really busy. But let's, let's work out ways where we are more in the word of God, when we're spending more time. That doesn't mean you have to spend hours with it. But maybe there is a time in your day, in your week, where you can just open it and you can just begin to know the word of God more. It can begin to come into your heart. Not, not just a, a, a brain thing, is it? It's not just in your mind, but actually... It's in your heart. So number one, let's allow God to prune us. Number two, let's try and spend more time in the word of God. Uh, Verse five said, you are the branches, plural. It's not just an individual religion, Christianity, is it? It's not just to do with me and my Jesus. No, no, no. It's about us working together. And so my encouragement is to spend time together over the summer. My encouragement is to come to church whenever you can. It's, I think things have changed slightly. I became a Christian in the 80s. And generally, if you're a Christian in the 80s, you went to church most Sundays, didn't you? At least 50%, probably 75%. Well, I notice now that there is a tendency that people go to church less, don't they? There are a number of people who might come once a month. Once every six weeks. So it's not just talking about our uh, church here at Beacon, but generally. I know Andrew and I had a discussion when we first got married. What does it mean for our family to go to church? And my feeling was that every Sunday we go to church. That's just what we do. Now, if there's a disaster at home or something needs to happen or there's a family emergency, okay, that's quite understandable. But my, our routine is we go to church. That's what we do. And I think that's really important to be with your brothers and your sister. You know, that's not just on Sunday, is it? Obviously, that's growth group. And maybe over the summer, it's just spending time in fellowship. Maybe praying with one another when you've had a meal together. But just doing that together. Because we are the branches. And actually, as branches, we help each other link in with the vine. It's an encouragement when together, isn't it? There's a challenge of being closer to Jesus. Okay. So, (laughs) allow God to challenge you. Read your Bible. Let's encourage you to read your Bible. Let's meet together. Let's continue meeting together. All very simple things, I know, but so important. Um, The next one, verse 7 and 8. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Ask whatever you wish. As we read our Bible regularly, we want to be those that pray regularly. And that's probably not just twice a day, is it? But it's everything. I know myself when I go into... um, Might have to cut this out of the tape. I know myself when I go into a a particular thing at work that's been difficult. I'll sit down and say, Lord, just help me. And it's so important, isn't it? When we go into... Maybe it's a family issue. Maybe it's something you're going into you think is difficult. Maybe it's a, I don't know, a difficult class that you teach. Maybe it's a, a difficult customer that you're working with. And just say, Lord, I just need your help. Just asking him 
But also spending that abiding is a little bit more than that. Is It's being in Christ. It's spending a whole time, awareness of Jesus, communicating with him. That is so important. And I have noticed that those who allow God to prune them, those who read the word of God regularly, those who regularly fellowship with Christians, and those who pray and make it their lifestyle of prayer, not just asking for things, but a lifestyle of prayer, those are the people who keep going and show fruit. That's what I've noticed in my, oh gosh, I'm not going to say how long, but in my uh, 30-odd years as a Christian. I've noticed that. Those are the people who, who keep going and those who bear fruit. And I think, in a way, that's what Jesus was saying here in this passage. Abide in him. What a privilege it is, isn't it? The King of kings, the glorious God, creator God, all-powerful, all-loving, your heavenly Father. What a privilege it is to spend time with him, to abide with him, just to be with him. I love uh, reading um, biographies of great men, and Hudson Taylor is one of my favourites. I'm, re- I'm reading another short one of Hudson Taylor's at the moment. And one of the things I noticed about Hudson Taylor, as I read through various biographies of him, is he goes through bigger challenges than I could ever expect. Absolutely huge challenges. And the ways he gets through is praying and spending time with Jesus. And sometimes, I have to be honest, when I find life difficult, I need to do things in a different way. But he had a way of spending time with Jesus. And that time with Jesus helped him to get through some horrendous circumstances. Losing children. Being in the middle of a battle. The house he's living in, not burning down. And Hudson Taylor, this um, great uh, missionary to China, founder of the China Inland Mission. Um, Let me just read a a little bit about him um, for you. That may just inspire you as I finish. So at the heart of Hudson Taylor's discovery was that the fruit of the vine comes from abiding, not striving. Abiding, not striving. And Hudson Taylor said this, to let my loving saviour work in me His will, my sanctification, is that I should live, I'm not saying this right, that I would live for by his grace, abiding, not striving, nor struggling, looking off unto him, trusting him for present power, resting in the love of almighty saviour. And again he said, from the conscious of union springs the power to abide. Let us then not seek, not wait, not pursue, but now accept by faith the Saviour's words, you are the branches. Hudson Taylor experienced such a powerful revelation of the inexpressible reality of union with Christ as an absolute and glorious fact of security and sweetness and power that it carried, in, in, <coughs> that it carried him in his own effectiveness. The effectiveness of Hudson Taylor opening up inland China was his power was abiding in Jesus. And I think we should do the same.
Pete, I don't know whether you want to just uh, come up. No, he doesn't. Pete, please come up. I wonder, um, having the service round this way, it's quite nice to respond, isn't it? Immediately, before the children come in. And I wonder whether, in, in a minute, just you can just think of maybe one thing that I have made you think about. Maybe it's a situation. Maybe it's uh, something that you, want, you can put into your life. Maybe it's a caution. Maybe it's a, a way of abiding in Jesus. And then uh, I'm just going to pray that God helps you to put that in to your life in this summertime. Shall we stand? Lord Jesus, our heart is to abide in you. We love to spend time with you, our saviour and our friend. Lord Jesus, will you help us now? Will you speak to us now, Lord, about ways in which we can do that? Not just here on a Sunday when we sing these amazing songs, but day in, day out. Lord, will you provoke us? Will you help us to make that step forward in you? Lord Jesus, I pray for each one here, Lord Jesus. Over this summertime, when people come and go, when holidays come, Lord Jesus, that you would help us to be a community of people who abide in you, whose whole identity is in you. It's not in ourselves, it's in you. Lord, will you move us forward in our sweet fellowship with Jesus? We want to know you more, Lord. We want to be more like you. We want to be those that spend more time with you, that just love to spend time with you. Our Saviour and our friend. Lord Jesus. <laughs>